0: X-Men
1: Get it X-Men Get it Hey everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom This is the podcast where we take 3 X-Men stories and we we examine them, we talk about them, and we put them on our big old list from best to worst of all the X-Men stories. And you know what? I couldn't do this without my co-host, Adam wreck because I'm Zach Jenkins, and he's Adam wreck And Adam, how are you doing today?
0: I'm good. I'm, you know, staring at my Blue Yeti microphone uh, recording here and, and really hoping it doesn't become sentient and try and kill me. Um you know, I'm really glad that it's an inanimate object that doesn't wish me harm. You know, it's a it's a good feeling.
1: <laughs> yes, because as we all know, our robot overlords are going to come and take take the planet from us, and that's fine. We <laughs> we have accepted this inevitability. I've seen several movies about it. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just gonna happen. There's no use getting upset about it. Enjoy technology as long as you can.
0: <laughs> yeah, as long <laughs> as it lets us, right?
1: Now, we, uh, we say all that to say that we got some robot stories oh, in yeah. today's episode of Battle of the Atom. Now, this episode comes to us from Patreon supporter John B. And John went on over to Patreon.com, put in as little as $2 a month for his pledge, and got an entire episode crafted around his choice. So first off, thank you, John. Thanks, John. And second off, he chose a story celebrating the 35th anniversary of the X-Men, which is not a round number that you normally hear getting celebrated, but is a perfectly fine number. Mm-hmm. This is an oversized two-part story covering Uncanny X-Men 360 and adjective X-Men 80 called Children of the Atom. Hey, wait, that's your name.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of. I've I been thinking about changing the spelling of it, but, you know, uh, it doesn't seem to work so well. Is this, um,
1: just, this is what you call your kids, you're like, you are the children of the Adam.
0: <laughs> no, I would not do that. <laughs> that would be pretty funny, though. Maybe yeah, I should start I a mean, dropper off for, uh, you know, for school and say – have a good day children of the atom and you know maybe i won't get a hug that morning uh <laughs> this is this is an odd story uh you know a really strange two-parter especially you know as an anniversary uh celebration of some kind like what's what's going on here <laughs>
1: well what's going on here is that professor xavier is just forming the x-men as some scientists are shooting a rocket from cape citadel on the undescribed anniversary of the first appearance of mutants and Magneto taking over Cape Citadel in X-Men number one.
0: Yeah. And it's funny that you distilled it down to those two things because this story rides on two big X-Men tropes that I feel like we've now seen a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea that uh, revisiting the Cape Citadel X-Men one storyline is important and that we need to revisit it and celebrate its anniversary in, in various ways and or a giant size X-Men-esque building of a new X-team, which we have seen in other storylines before. Um, I feel like this becomes much more palatable because the artwork on the uncanny issue is Chris Pachalo and, and Townsend. So uh, it, it doesn't feel you know, as anchorless, (laughs) but it it sure could in other hands. Yeah.
1: And frankly, Brandon Peterson's art on X-Men 80 is really good. Like it's some of my favorite stuff that that guy's done.
0: Yeah. His artwork has evolved a great deal since like executioner song era, Brandon Peterson. I mean, he's still doing some, um, you know, gratuitous TNA stuff in places. That's really weird. Like on marrow, you know? Um, But that being said, I, I agree. Like his, his artwork's not taking me out of this story either. Yeah. But it's it's a strange story. Yes. Because it, we're, we're led to believe that Professor X is forming this team, but it's not actually Professor
1: X. It's Cerebro. And Steve Siegel and uh, Joe Kelly saved that twist for the very end. It's...
0: Yeah, last page, last panel.
1: It's interesting. So to back up a little bit uh, to where the X-Men were at, because this is a time of great turbulence for the X-Men. Operation Zero Tolerance happened about a year ago, which completely wiped out the team. It reset them to zero, and they had some weird teammates. They had Cecilia Reyes, Mero, and, uh, and uh, my, my boy, my boy Maggot, were all on the team, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Cannonball, who had been on the team for a while, and Joseph. And at this point, they kind of hit a reset button on most all of that. Because they, they bring the team all the way back down to the core essentials. The only people who were left from uh, adjective X-Men on that team were Marrow, Wolverine, and Storm. And Rogue is the only character who was from the Uncanny team who sticks around for this. And to fill in the uh, space, they bring in three characters from the now-defunct Excalibur, being Kitty Pride, Nightcrawler, and Colossus.
0: Yeah, it's a great lineup. You know, I I really like that they're all together in on this story. It it, uh, lends a certain likability to it that uh, if it was a different lineup, I don't know the story would have.
1: Yeah, I like the lineup. Uh, I have some issues just from a meta sense because Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel, they had spent, I think, 10 issues on the books with this new direction. And they were doing something with it. There was a lot of interesting thing, a lot of potential, but Bob Harrison, the editorial office, really uh, said, no, 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 no. We don't want to do this new thing. We want a fresh start. We want to focus on our legacy. We really want to bring it back to what Marvel needs now and reset the mm. reset the book. Well, both books. And I have some issues with that in general just because I liked that maggot era, as I like to call it.
0: Right. Well, it's, it's that same editorial edict that like, we're not going to allow the X-Men to have their siege perilous time again. You know what I mean? Um, we're not going to allow them to disband so that we have to do the reset. It's like, we need the main characters there at all times, which, you know, I, I don't know that I always buy into, like, I agree. I like when the team gets a chance to be a new thing and, and, um, you know explore some different avenues and different lineups
1: but yeah uh speaking of different lineups cerebro's team of x-men has a interesting lineup i don't know if it's good
0: (laughs) yeah i don't even know if i would call them interesting like they're you know what it reminded me of a little bit was like they're all kind of amalgams of different x they really are um so you're Every time you see one, you're like, wait, is that, is that, is that Mystique? Is that Colossus? Um, but they're kind of like a bunch of people, different, you know, different characters mashed together. Um, do you want to go through through the uh, roster?
1: First guy we have from alphabetical order, thanks to the Marvel Wikia, is Chaos or Xeos, depending on which issue, <laughs> because they just changed the CH to an X the second time he appears, which hmm. I kind of love. Okay. He is a comic book version of autistic mutant who can shoot energy blasts, but not really control them. Hmm. Kind of like our good boy Cyclops. But he also dresses like Havoc.
0: Yeah, and wears 3D glasses. Did I catch that? Was Words for no reason with ellipses around it. And, uh, you know, it it just I wish they hadn't thrown that in um, because it's disrespectful to people who have autism.
1: We also have... What's her name? Crystal Lemieux, who is Crux, who has both fire and ice powers. She's hmm. boring. She's French. We got Addison Falk, who is the Grey King, who definitely has not Phoenix, but Phoenix powers.
0: Yeah, it got kind of like a, a Phoenix fire going around him at all times.
1: Yeah, we got Lee Bruder, who is Landslide, who is like a blob Sabertooth.
0: Mm-hmm. And maybe the beast a little bit. Uh, he's got kind of like the big, a little bit big hands, big feet kind of thing going on.
1: Right. We've got Mercury, but not that Mercury, who is Colossus with claws. Mm-hmm. We've got Sister Joy, who is named Rapture, and she is Archangel, but with a sword. Yeah.
0: It's it's basically Mystique, right, with like wings and a sword, and is a nun. <laughs> it's, so it's basically,
1: a... not Mystique, but yes. Right,
0: right. <laughs> um, well, she had
1: wings. She's had wings before, they're... and it's very dumb when it happens.
0: So yeah, we go through quite a long introduction in this first issue of all of them, and then they attack a cruise ship. Uh, <laughs> which is very un x men but they claim right. to be the X-Men. And uh, naturally, the real X-Men are very confused by this.
1: Right. And that's kind of what there is in this story. Like, yeah. they they get confused and they're trying to figure out who these new X-Men are. At the same time, they're trying to stop this missile launch at Cape Citadel that Super Doctor astronaut Peter Corbeau uh, is warning them about and it's like guys this is super bad uh i didn't realize that i thought it was just i thought it was just spaceships and i really like those didn't realize they were going to try and exterminate all mutants uh using the spaceship so that's on me but please fix this
0: yeah i love that peter corbeau is involved in this story um the actual concept of the banassi banassi rocket um and what cerebro wants to do with it i think is an interesting concept um you know if cerebro was going to gain sentience it makes and become a villain it makes sense that it would involve finding all of mutant kind in some effort to exterminate all of mutant kind so i i think it works pretty well um, yeah even though it's kind of a MacGuffin in the story
1: i mean it is it's there to make callbacks to x-men one and to give mm-hmm. the x-men something to do and i'll say cerebro's motivations become a lot more clear in the actual hunt for xavier stuff where it is a machine that is frustrated at trying to catalog all the x-men and it's very resonant with someone who's been doing that for three years
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> are you no, saying you you uh you kind of identify with cerebro like,
1: right in this case so by the time this has come out infinity war has been out for Three, four weeks now. So,
0: so that everyone's seen it.
1: So, if you're listening to an X Men podcast, you've seen it or you're okay with it. But, Th- you know how like people are saying that Thanos is sympathetic even though genocide is on the table for him?
0: Ugh. What That's is how that I about? feel
1: about Cerebro. That's how oh, I feel okay. about Cerebro in the <laughs> very specific way of, man, cataloging X Men can suck sometimes
0: i'm so glad you went that direction uh and not like i think vulture.com did a piece about like staff members thinking that thanos was hot <laughs> i mean look <laughs> I was like, that's different that's a different
1: thing you can think someone's hot <laughs> and also think they're a bad person
0: that's true no you make a very good point
1: yeah, i'm just are, you know I'm making impulses, sure you're not
0: attracted to cerebro but we we will get into some robot love later in this we're gonna uh, in this we're episode. gonna get
1: into some robot love later uh, but yeah, that's kind of the story. It's good to see the Excalibur guys get back with the rest of the X-Men. I think that's fun. Cause like Kitty and Nightcrawler had been out of X-Men since 1989. Yeah. This is the first time they've been back. Yeah. Colossus a little bit sooner, but.
0: No, this, it works really well. Um, I like that they kind of all team up and I, I agree that it may not be the best for the line at that point, given what had been going on in the past year, but it makes for a pretty solid story
1: yeah it's fine i'll say the one side the one thing that i think is kind of a downside of this is at the end cerebro just absorbs all of its Mm x-men and then they're never seen again
0: well and that's okay because they're not that interesting but in terms of storytelling we did spend you know a good chunk of the first issue introducing all of them as these very individual characters so you know that's that's a whole different story uh, that just gets thrown away there.
1: It feels like if you're going to spend what is a, the equivalent of an entire issue introducing these guys, maybe keep them around for this entire hunt for Xavier chunk of the book instead of for an issue and a half after they become the quote-unquote X-Men. Yeah,
0: even if they were just cannon fodder. But, you know, we saw that with Eve of Destruction too, right? Um, you know, like a long introduction sure. of reforming uh, an X-Men team and they don't really do anything and we never see them again for the rest of continuity. So, you know, it's a trope.
1: It is not a particularly good one, though. I think this is done better than Eve of Destruction. Yes, I'll say that absolutely. Do you think? Do you think on our list of 102 X-Men stories from Days of Future Past to the Draco that this is better than say, uh, well, actually, another story that does a lot to build up a new team of X-Men only to kind of get rid of them quickly, Deadly Genesis which is at 84 right now.
0: Oh, yeah. I, in fact, I was kind of looking in that part of the list, you know, because, um, you know, I don't really have any problems with this story. I actually like it. And I think having uh, Bachalo on art does a lot. Um, the, the reformation of the team does a lot to make this more enjoyable. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I liked it better than Deadly Genesis. I think I liked it better than Extreme X-Men Exposé. How high would you be willing to go?
1: I'll ask you this, since it uh, calls back to that story a lot. Is it better than X Men number one at number seventy nine on our list? uh,
0: No, I don't. I don't know if it goes that far. You know, um,
1: I don't. I don't either. I don't think this is better than Into the Void.
0: Is it better Um, than Quannon, which we talked about in our last episode?
1: I liked rereading Quannon more. Okay, I did
0: um is it better than that uh, storm yeah, solo story though
1: that's where i'm kind of looking okay uh i think it's probably a little worse okay because i i think that storm story you can you know hand to someone and say hey here's this here's this storm story mm-hmm. it, it'll be okay you'll like it this I'm not sure I would hand to anyone unless they've been reading X-Men for a while and they're looking for something to say, oh, here's something neat you might not have checked out.
0: Yeah, this uh, to a first time reader is going to be fairly confusing, especially if you had not been reading what had come before it and why what's going on is going on. Um, You know, it does help to read what comes before and after. So uh, absolutely. So a new 83.
1: This is it. Yeah, it'll be the new number 83 on our list. Uncanny X-Men 360. An adjective list X-Men 80, Children of the Atom. Nice. Now we're going to move on to another story about robots. Mm -hmm. And a story that is better known for telling roughly the same story.
0: And it's fascinating reading uh, the Children of the Atom story and seeing a different writer come up with a similar conceit. And yet what we're going to talk about right now does it, I think, way better And it's a far more interesting play on that conceit than the other story is.
1: Yeah, we're going to be talking about Astonishing X-Men Dangerous. That's Astonishing X-Men 7 through 12, written by Joss Whedon, with art by John Cassaday and Laura Martin. Uh, This is the one where Danger Room, the Danger Room, uh, becomes sentient and attacks the X-Men and is mad at Charles Xavier. Uh, (laughs) Let me ask you this, first and foremost. Yes. You think Josh Whedon had any idea about this Cerebro story from the late '90s?
0: I'm gonna guess. I want to say no. no. I'm gonna guess no, and I'm gonna guess that even if he did, I don't think it really matters because in the context of this of Seagull's story, um, Cerebro is infected um, based on something that happened with Bastion before that storyline came up. Right. So the really the premise is. The premise is quite different here, right? Um, Because the idea of the danger room becoming sentient is something that is another retcon here that Professor Xavier has known about. uh, It's revealed for quite a bit of time. Correct?
1: Yeah. Sometime in our continuity uh – uh the early to mid 90s -hmm. whenever they reconstructed the danger room with shiar technology which would have been probably around 1992
0: yeah um and we've talked about astonishing before on the show this is outstanding it's Uh, good it is absolutely beautiful um Cassidy's artwork is, again, extremely cinematic. There's a couple things in here that, where you could you could really imagine this jumping onto the screen very easily. Um, but just to come back to the idea of danger for a second, I think that the idea behind danger is, is a pretty brilliant one. Um, the idea that not only was the danger room sentient, but is really striking out because all it experiences is a form of abuse from Xavier and the X-Men and and wants suitably to get some sort of vengeance. I think it's kind of brilliant in, in its own terms.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Now, I will say that this – I keep going round on Whedon's run, which is, as a whole, every story in that run is better than most stories in any other X-Men run. mm mm-hmm. uh, but I think this may be my least favorite of his of his run. OK, it's it's close because I know I like the uh, Torn story better, which mm-hmm. is the uh, third arc and then the break world arc at the end. I think I definitely like more. Uh, but this has some really good moments. This has that time that Cyclops wants this thing off his lawn and <laughs> destroys a sentinel. Just by flipping up his visor. Oh. And it's very good. That's such a cool scene. The panel layout by John Cassidy is incredibly choice on that. Because he just draws it in red. Mm -hmm. He covers, what, two-thirds of the page in red. And all you see is, like, the charred remains of everything out there. And you get Wolverine saying, the line that I think sums up their relationship the best. And he says, every now and again, Summers, I remember why you're in charge. And it's pretty
0: good. <laughs> I, I love that Wolverine is kind of in awe of both uh, Cyclops and Colossus in this arc. There's a lot of really good character interactions here that um, really sell the story, which is great.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I think works well at the beginning, at least, is you know the opening fight is – the X-Men versus a giant Mole Man monster.
0: Yeah, with Fantastic Four. Fantastic
1: Four. They just show up and Ben Grimm, the thing, is so mad. <laughs> He's like, this is our story. They're fighting a monster in Manhattan. This is our gig. What are they doing? <laughs> and Cyclops straight up shows his savvy. He's like, yeah, you guys do the superhero thing. We're really trying to do the superhero thing right now and make people think of us as superheroes. We're going through a bit of a rebranding exercise. So can you can you let us have this one?
0: <laughs> well, and I like that they do. You know, like Reed and Sue are kind of like, okay, hey, we're in support of mutant rights. We'll we'll let you have this one. You know, it's good PR yeah. for all of us if if we help support you and you get credit for taking this Mole Man monster down.
1: Yeah, it's a. It's a good, it's a good moment. I'll tell you what ends up not working as well for me is the additional. You know, Charles Xavier is a real super jerk moment. Okay, because we we get a lot of these in Quick Succession, uh, Succession. In you know this time period, we get this and Deadly Genesis like within a year of each other. Yeah, it's a lot of Professor X sucks. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he betrays us again and again and again.
1: And I'll say the, uh, the justification for everyone being mad at Professor X is, I don't think that lands as well. Because you get Professor X, this character who constantly has voices in his head, hearing a voice, quote unquote, from the danger room thinking that it might be sentient and then not reacting and his inaction causes everyone to turn away from him. And I understand what Joss Whedon is trying to say with this. And I understand what he's trying to do with it, but I don't think it lands. And I don't think it is as effective because it's, it's such an easy thing to wave off and say, well, what if he didn't like get any of that? Mm. Like, I don't know. It, that part doesn't work as well for me,
0: well, and especially in comparison of the crime of saying that he formed an entire team of x men, let them die, and then erase Cyclops memory so you could forget it. that seems like a much more personal and you know murderous angle than this particular scenario where you know the danger room might be sentient, he thinks <laughs> you know it's like- yeah. It doesn't work as well as in comparison.
1: It's to me, it's such a I don't want to say gray area, but it is. It's such an interesting like slight Mm -hmm. that it's it's so much harder to understand why all of the X-Men would immediately be disgusted by him. Like it's that's a very different thing than, oh, uh, I killed a lot of children on accident.
0: Uh, Right. That one makes immediate sense, so uh, I get it. I will say what does work here is Professor X's fight scene with Danger. Um, the scene, oh, when
1: he hits Danger with the truck!
0: Oh, I was just gonna say that is such a really masterful uh, scene, the way that that's played. You know, and it's almost like a jump scare because like you do not expect Professor X to be jumping uh, to be driving this truck through that wall. It, it works really well, and I, I love that he's like, "Oh, you expected me to just play psychic mind games with you." no i'm gonna hit you with a mac truck
1: yeah it's it's good we're not talking about john cassaday's art enough on this but he's like 70 percent of why this story works he's an incredibly clean artist and he has a very good sense of storytelling mm-hmm. like honestly he makes everything look really good and tells a very clear and concise story he does an excellent job of that what and, think, yeah
0: what do you think about danger's actual design because um, when danger reveals itself it is um you know a somewhat it, it's meant to be a female form with kind of like uh i, I don't know how to describe it like wire dreads almost and i, I do you like eyelashes that? but
1: Can only it? on the bottom side of her eyes
0: yeah it's it's a very interesting character design
1: I don't love the, the design of Danger, and frankly, as a character, Danger's never been one of my faves. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't dislike Danger. You can go and see where Danger is on my ranked list of X-Men. I think she is in the, uh, you know, three-quarter-ish uh, quartile <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay.
1: of everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Wait, three-quarter-ish quartile, that would... Yeah, that works out. It's in like a third chunk. She's she's in the bo- She's in the bottom half. Yeah, uh, of X Men characters. I just I don't love Danger all that much. I think as a character, Danger struggles because Danger is so murderous and convinces a child to commit suicide in this arc, yep. and then and then you know is supposed to be one of the good guys later, and that's that's a hard line to. Uh, move to how about yourself what do you think of danger
0: i i think danger is a cool cooler concept than she is a recurring character Mm -hmm. um and i can see why she could work both as a hero and as a villain but um i think it works a lot better as a plot device than it does as an ongoing character though we will see in a in a few moments that you can use danger in different ways that are still very very interesting um yes so i think this story is still really solid um, it, it certainly is. doesn't have is, it's certainly not going to go as high as the initial run of gifted. Um, yeah. hey, which is can currently I, can, a can, jump, can I,
1: can I jump one thing in here before we hit rankings?
0: Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, you're fine, man. Uh, the one other thing I'd like to say about this run before we jump into the ranking section of this part is that Joss Whedon does a very good job seeding future plot lines in these six issues. You didn't oh, yeah. get as much of it in gifted because that was you know the setup of the whole thing, uh, but mm-hmm. you get a ton of stuff about Breakworld and about the Hellfire Club Emma Frost arc in this. You get every issue. There's some you know plot thread that you know they're going to come back to and you know they're going to bring up again. I think it's very good. He continues to develop Hisako Armor as a character in this run, which she has a very slow buildup to the point that by the end of the run she is a you know core member of the team and you could see her being one of the X Men if honestly, if Astonishing X Men wasn't constantly delayed and she you know, all those characters were more or less off the table for so long, I bet you would have seen Hisako become, you know, one of the X Men moving forward. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a great but, character.
1: Yeah, I like her a lot. They do a lot with her. They do a lot with sword and they do a lot with uh, with Emma and her inner struggles. And when we get to torn at some point, which I'm I cannot believe that we won't. We'll talk about that. Sure. But yeah, Yeah. I think you I think you were you're thinking the same lines as I am. This isn't as good as gifted, but this is still better than most X-Men stories.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean just visually alone it's absolutely beautiful. It's extremely high concept. Um, so I think it works on a variety of different levels. How high would you go?
1: So I'm going to I'm going to throw this this out there. I don't think it's as good as avenge the earth from uncanny avengers 18 through 22. I think mm-hmm. they both are trying to do, you know, capital M capital C Marvel Comics superhero stories. But Avenge the Earth is more successful.
0: Do you think it's better than Magic miniseries?
1: I think it's better than what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires, which is right below Magic.
0: Absolutely. Um, I I think this... This I know that magic is very important to continuity and that we like that that sort of epic saga that takes place there. But I I might be willing to put this above that Um, just based on the art alone. Cassidy is absolutely masterful in the way that he tells this story. What do you think?
1: I think that's fair. I think that this can be our new number 23. Astonishing X-Men. Dangerous. Nice. Yeah. Now, as everyone gets dangerous. Uh, we have one last story to go over. This is definitely a story about robots. All right. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. This is,
1: this is a weird one. Uh, this is a good one. This, <laughs> this is a story I really. I constantly come back to because it fills me with such joy. It <laughs> is X Club. It's a five issue miniseries. Written by Cy Spurrier with art by Paul Davidson and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. What's up, Adam? What you What you think about X Club?
0: Oh man, this is such a weird lineup. Um, But if you are a Doctor Nemesis fan, you can absolutely not skip this because the delights therein of just what goes on with his character over these five issues is so funny. It,
1: oh this is <laughs> i don't know scripture. if you want to... this is scripture yeah. for dr nemesis it really absolutely
0: is. i um, mean just even without the the psychic starfish lodged on his head um <laughs> he is just i like dr nemesis in general um i really liked him on uh, hopeless's cable and x-force run uh but here it, this is like the most dr nemesis thing you'll ever read and it's great
1: yeah, so I got to provide some context for this event comic thing because it needs it. Uh, this is right after Schism. This is part of Regenesis. Uh, you know, the X Line was split up between Cyclops and Wolverine, and everyone got stories, and then everyone, there were a couple of miniseries that came out of this. So there was uh, Wolverine in the X Men miniseries, uh, Magneto miniseries, and then X Club. I think those were the only mini-series. There may be another one. There are at least those three. And X-Club was a team that came together during Matt Fraction's run, uh, composed of the sciency people of X-Men. So at this point, the team is Danger, the Danger Room, who's now good. Uh, Kavita Rao, who was the scientist from Gifted, who found the mutant cure. Box, Mm -hmm. who's from Alpha Flight. Who is Madison Jeffries? And he can he can he can forge things. He can be forge, <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Canadian Forge, which makes him worse? Question mark.
0: Yeah, I mean he's kind of a he, a, he doesn't have a lot of actual like character behind him, but uh, his he's very vital to the story.
1: He is, and then you also have Doctor Nemesis, who is. So good. You know, Dr. Nemesis is a golden age comics character that fell into uh, fell into uh, public domain. And then I think Roy Thomas in the 90s picked him up for a two issue thing of the invaders. And then Matt Fraction saw this and said, yes, father, you shall become an X-Men character.
0: I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yes, I mean, I knew that he had origins in in uh, older comics, but I didn't realize that that's how he got into uh, Fractions Run. That's yes. fascinating. Yes, his
1: Golden Age stories are all public domain. They are all available online. I don't remember where, but there's some site that has a bunch of Golden Age stuff. They aren't particularly great, but I love them in retrospect saying, OK, so this is definitely Dr. Nemesis from X-Men this is in his history and we have to accept this as true
0: that <laughs> this is yes, canon yes no
1: this is, this um, is canon well, for dr Demesis.
0: and it's great that that his history goes back that far because this story involves the submariner um it also involves um nazis <laughs> and punching a lot of nazis with science uh so
1: yeah if you want if you want some nazi punching this is a comic oh, for you yeah
0: it's there it's happening quite a bit uh right till the last bit ba- last issue um but this is a weird one like we haven't really even scraped the surface of what the plot is um because the cast is crazy enough but the plot is even crazier uh, it involves uh what kind of like a an elevator to space it involves danger getting pregnant um wow there's
1: it involves the territory being dicks to atlanteans yeah
0: yeah uh Turn it kind of mutating them into these monsters. So, uh, I think we said off the air that this is like the spurrierest of the spurrier th- uh, stories. This is about as size Spurrier as you can get.
1: Yeah, and I love that fact about it because I like size Spurrier a lot. I can understand that he is not a comics creator for everyone. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can see why people would maybe look at this and go, what? This is not for me. But I think if you like Cy Spurrier stuff, um, if you've read some of his other work, like his X-Force run, you got to check this out. It is really cool and bizarre.
1: Yeah, it it's kind of great. Essentially, X-Club is trying to launch the space elevator. It kind of works, but then their whole thing gets disrupted and everyone tries to figure out what was disrupting it. Dr. Nemesis figures out that it was Nazis and does what Dr. Nemesis does and proceeds to punch those Nazis right (laughs) in their stupid face.
0: Yeah. Um, And at the same time, like you mentioned, the Terrigen mists have created these sort of nightmarish Atlantean creatures uh, that are giving superpowers to regular old, uh, you know, sea folk. So Dr. Nemesis gets this starfish attached to his head that projects all of his thoughts out loud, um, including his crush on uh, Kavita Rao,
1: <laughs> which is great, <laughs> which yes. is
0: absolutely wonderful. So you get you get Doctor Nemesis's normal super fast dialogue, but it's um, you know punctuated in times with these this inner monologue, which is being spoken out loud by a starfish. Um, so if you think that kind of high concept idea is right down your alley, this is for you for sure.
1: It it's just. The comic's not particularly weighty. It's not particularly important. It is delightful. Like, this is, this is something I own the trade of. I've read – I've probably read this thing five or six times in the last few years. It's really good. Like, it's just this – is, this is fun comics. It gives a lot of its characters – it gives all of its characters an arc. It's four main characters. You have Danger Being uh, – pregnant with this new consciousness of ai which is a whole weird that high concept part doesn't land as well Mm. you have kavita rao trying to one get people mostly dr nemesis to respect her for being the only human on x club you have dr nemesis punching nazis and saying fun stuff and having a starfish on his head and then you got madison Jeffries trying to figure out that he's really turned on by robots.
0: <laughs> and slowly. Do we need to talk him. about that. Yeah. I mean, he, he does slowly just begin to say, you know what? I'm okay with this. I'm going to be midwife to the birth of this, whatever this AI that's coming out of danger is. And we're going to, we're going to make out at the end of this story. Like that is weird. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's the kind of weird that really works in this story.
1: Oh, yeah. Danger also ends up claiming uh, the entire space elevator for all of robot kind. Yeah. And then says, we're going to protect it with the power of love and makes out with Madison Jeffries, (laughs) which sure is an ending. All right.
0: Well, you know, what I love is that the beginning and the end of this story are these like weird Cyclops press conferences that just keep getting interrupted by whatever wackiness is going on in the central story. And it's wonderful. I mean, I just flipped open, I have these in floppies and I just flipped open issue three. And like, here we have Dr. Nemesis in a space suit with the starfish lodged on his head, uh, standing on the back of a mutated hammerhead shark. And in his caption bubble is science. ho. I mean, I, there's nothing like this out there. It is so weird and, uh, and so unique. It's great.
1: It is so good. Especially because then his inner monologue is him writing the shark singing, Killed a Wabbit, Killed a Wabbit. <laughs> it's very good. Uh-huh. Cy Spurrier hits all of the right buttons for me. I really, really like this story. It's, again, it's going to be a you love it or you will absolutely hate this. I can... I can't argue with anyone who says that they found no enjoyment out of this and that they hated it so much and they thought it was dumb. Mm. Like, I get it.
0: Yeah, I can I see I really
1: that. do. But for me, oh, for me, this is just so good. Yeah, this count is... me as a
0: fan here. I, I like this a lot. And I, I just generally like Cy Spurrier's writing. Um, but, but especially if you like, I mentioned this before, if you like Dr. Nemesis, you got to check this out. It's absolutely wonderful.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know that at one point, Dr. Nemesis eschews all science and says, nanobots are passé, pal. Punching (laughs) is forever.
0: (laughs) There's good punching in this.
1: There's such good punching. Yeah. Uh, uh, There's a part where Dr. Nemesis uh, logics his way out of a problem like it's a friggin Douglas Adams hitchhiker guide to the galaxy thing. Yeah. I think he does that like twice. uh Three times. Oh, it's good. I like this story a lot. You should read it. It's very fun. All
0: right. So the other size barrier we've talked about was X-Men Legacy 300, um, which is currently at good. Number 21 on our list. Uh, do you like that better than this? Or do you like X-Club better?
1: I like X-Club better. X-Club okay. brings me a lot of joy. X-Club, and I don't think this is as or I don't think X-Club is as good as this, but it reminds me of like reading Nightcrawler by Cockrum. Hmm. It has that same level of pure fun comics to it. Now, I think the Nightcrawler story is by and large better because I think there's some weak parts in X-Club, specifically everyone who's not Dr. Nemesis. Like Kavita Rao gets a good storyline where she deals with empirical evidence versus faith and how mm-hmm. you know to balance that as a human but danger doesn't do a lot except for uh be be kind and of an antagonist things. and a threat yeah. for a little bit unintentionally and i don't necessarily buy into madison jeffrey's story all that much okay like i get what he's trying to, they're trying to do with it but i don't think that lands as well so i don't think this is as good as nightcrawler i don't think it's as good as life death
0: I'm I'm but actually I, looking down by Wolverine and the X Men the uh, the dupe issue, um, which is another just kind of no holds bar absolutely insane issue. Um, below yeah. that we have the Inferno arc from New Mutants, which I gotta say I think that that might be my cap here. I think that X Club is really fun, um, but it is certainly by no means essential to X continuity. Um, you could not read this and you'd be fine. Um, but if you like a certain amount of like wacky off the wall stuff, you got to check it out. Um, so what do you think? Here's what
1: everyone should do. What everyone should do is read the first issue, Mm -hmm. read those 20 pages. You'll know from there. If you don't like those 20 pages, just put it down, walk away. Don't waste your time. You're not going to, you're not going to like it. Yeah. If you enjoyed that first issue. I don't have to tell you to keep reading because you've already hit next on Marvel Unlimited.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're already on to issue number two. Um, yeah,
1: so do that. Do that. But no, I I think you're right. Uh, Inferno is probably better. Mm-hmm. It really is. But yeah, I think, I think X Club can be the new number the new number 21 on our really? list. And that that My robot friends will do it for this episode of Battle of the Atom. Again, this came to us from Patreon supporter John B. Uh, Thank you, John, because he, just like all of our Patreon supporters, went over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. And, you know, they, they tossed in a little bit. To get an episode around them, maybe to get some of our other rewards like crayon drawings or line-stepping privileges on the XavierFiles.com website where this episode and everything else that I do as part of the Xavier Files Media Empire is stored. I can tell you that on XavierFiles.com, there are weekly-ish articles about different X-Men characters. I just wrote one about Storm, but I'm pretty sure we have like two or three episodes recorded in in the bag at this point. So I'm not like 100% sure what I'm working on (laughs) as you listen to this, but I bet it's good. I bet it's awesome. I I mean, look, let's not go that far. (laughs) And you can find me on Twitter.com and exhibitfrials.com. Nope, nope, nope. There's not a .com in my Twitter.
0: (laughs) Don't put a .com in his Twitter handle.
1: But Adam, Adam, what about you? Is there a dot com in your Twitter handle?
0: Uh, not as far as I know. You guys can always follow me at Arthur Stacy, and uh, at least for the next couple of weeks, we've got new pages of Bish and Jubes coming out at AdamRec.Tumblr.com.
1: Ah, some uh, that about does it for this episode. Next time, we have an all Jeff Parker power hour as we talk about his exiles and some other interesting stuff that happened. But until then, this has been Bow the Atom. We hope you survive the survive exp- survive. Survive, duh. I can I can put the right tense on things, right? The experience. We hope you survived it. Get out of here. Bye.